Hello and welcome to the Hash Rugby Chat. Hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving More. And yes, it's that time of year. I'm in my Lions jersey because you know what? It's November Internationals. And that's what we're going to be talking about on Hash Rugby Chat. November Internationals and there was some rain. And joining me, I have a full house this evening, which is fantastic. Um, so uh, great to um, have you back, Ryan, after a uh, a long time away. Oh, sorry, you're, you're halfway drinking there. <laughs> Sorry, just you know, caffeine to keep me awake at this time of night. Uh, no, thanks for having me on. Caffeine, I know. Got some rugby. Uh, yeah, anyone from Moa that some would like to sponsor us? Then, uh, yep, lovely Moa beer uh, for me. Um, and uh, uh, Stephen, our our, uh, our kind of professional voice man from uh, from Radio Sport. How are you doing, sir? No, very good. Once again, an absolute privilege to be on your award-winning show. <laughs> <laughs> award-winning? Wow, I'm not quite sure. Blessed to be here. It will be award-winning, trust me. <laughs> and finally, um, hello, Archwing. Um, thank you so much for joining us on your birthday. I mean, wow, this is a bit special. Uh, when, you, when, when you get as old as I am, it's just another day. Hey, Steve. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I think to, I just... to, to, to kick us off, then, we should uh, definitely start off with a rounding rendition of uh, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ashwin. Happy birthday to you. And Stevie, you should microphone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, where's my present? Where's your present? Uh, your yeah. present is you're allowed in the show. Well done. Yay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All I hate to say it, but the, uh, the award winning isn't going to be in the Grammys, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe it'll be in, be in uh, the uh, uh, diversity one. We can go. For, we, we, do, we can do it in uh, do Mandarin. Julie Shiler, Quila. Julie Shiler, Quila. Or French. Bon anniversaire pour vous. Um, and I'm sure one of you guys can do it in Maori for us. Oh yeah. Hari hari ta. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Nothing. Come there. Let's talk rugby. All your audience has just fallen completely off the line. No, they're all saying happy birthday. So welcome. Thank you. We've got unbiased rugby. We've got Christian. We've got Jack all in the chat there. All very good. Um, right then. Um, talking rugby, and obviously tomorrow night will be the All Blacks edition. So we'll we'll keep the All Blacks, Mary, Mary um, All Blacks, and Black Ferns stuff for for tomorrow night. But tonight, I guess in some ways, that's the most important stuff that was happening was the um, Rugby World Cup qualification repechage. Um, did you boys see any of that? Oh, I saw some highlights of the Canada game against Kenya. Well, congratulations. You'd better than I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see any of it, but I, I did see the scores. And yeah, Canada put up a good performance against Kenya. Um, 65-19, picking up the try bonus point uh, and there. But the shocker was Hong Kong beat, um, losing to Germany, 9-26. Um, Ryan, were you guys covering this on the uh, the Tribe Sports app? Uh, unfortunately, we we didn't at the weekend, but I think we're going to look to cover the last two rounds um, and backfill the information from the weekend. It, it, to be honest, it kind of got lost in amongst all the other um, you know internationals and stuff going on. Um, I think you know for the most part, Canada pretty. I would have them as warm favourites to advance from that, and certainly with the result um, from the weekend, it, it sort of uh, played into their into their hands. Um, 
just a, a, I mean, if you look at the world rankings, they're actually ranked below Canada. But once you get outside of like a top 10 in any sport, I, I find those sort of rankings, they can uh, give a bit of a false indication of strength of teams based on, you know, who they play and, and the other teams around them. Yeah, and who they have available to them at any one time. It's also a good point. I, I, are you guys aware of the, the kind of the, the, the story behind German Germany rugby um, and uh, their billionaire backer who um, has apparently stepped back bailed. in? Well, he bailed out, and then yeah. then when they got into the um, to this one, he said, "Oh, you know, you can have another three hundred thousand um, dollars just to so, so that you can actually turn up through a charge because you haven't got enough cash to even do that." Uh, so yeah, no, what, so I, I was, yeah, I was reading up a bit about it, and there's this like they basically sort of went, "Well, you've got us here, into, and we're in this ripper charge, um, but now we're stuffed. But you're the one that got us here." So he goes, "Okay, here's another three hundred, and uh, I believe if they make it to the, if they qualify, he's going to give them another dollar for cash as well." Well, I thought it was something like he would give them X amount if he if they could find three other people that would give the same amount. So they've they yeah, got lots of cash or no cash, <laughs> and they got and they got a and they got a quality international coach. Oh, absolutely! That's where they went and spent their money. Um, yeah, it was, was on Mike Ford uh, coming in. Now, if they do get to, I mean, how embarrassing would this be for world rugby? Germany gets qualifies for the World Cup and then can't actually afford any coaches to go. So. <laughs> You'd think that they would, uh, that the world rugby would have to find some cash from somewhere for them, wouldn't they? Well, you sort of think it should have achieved an, an objective in terms of German rugby if they are able to qualify for the Rugby World Cup. Is the possibly there might be some other German sort of companies that come forward and or, or a um, sort of you know philanthropist billionaire that sort of chucks his hat in the ring to say, oh, well, I'll back you guys because, you know, you've made it to a to a World Cup. Adidas, maybe? Is that a German company? <laughs> oh, it is too. Exactly. Yeah, but that'd be a classic, isn't it? I mean, it would make a lot of sense for, Germ- uh, for Adidas to sort of go, hey, look, we'll throw a bit of coin in behind you. We support the All Blacks and you. <laughs> it's got to be a win-win for Adidas. Seriously? Absolutely. Surely. Well, isn't 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 this one of these funny situations where Adidas and Puma are both in the same town, run by and they were originally run run by brothers who who used to work together, used to have a company together, and then split up. So Puma could be Puma could back Germany to try and beat Adidas New Zealand. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. so just keep you up to date. That's what's going on in the repechage. Um And uh, as Ryan says, keep keep an eye out on the uh, Tribe Sports app to keep up to date with what's going to happen um, on for the rest of this one. Uh, yeah, Canada played Germany this coming weekend. That looks like it's going to be the key match. Um, and Hong Kong and Kenya then play just to basically try and stay in it. Now, eligibility is one that we've talked about um, before. It's come up a lot. lot and we're generally talking about um, residency. Now, have you, um, Gary Graham has been called up to uh, by Scotland. His dad is, he was born in Scotland. His dad played for Scotland. So it all sounds kind of legit and fine. And it is all within the rules. But he was called up by England in the Six Nations this year. Uh, went to the training camp, didn't get this into the side, and has now jumped uh, jumped up to Scotland. What do you feel about this, uh, about someone who's been in training camp, obviously will have been through the training routines, got uh, secrets from that, 
and then going and playing for another another side, Steve? I, I, I haven't really got a problem with it because he hasn't officially represented England for starters. So in that, in that case, it, it, it kind of makes it okay. Um, it obviously doesn't take a lot of um, knowledge knowledge across to, to Scotland, but you know, I'll t- tell you what, I mean to say, if, you know, if, if really and truthfully, if international coaches want to learn teams, there's a, there's a lot of secretive things that they can they can basically do. Yeah, hopefully we're live again. Um, for those of you on YouTube, if you've been watching on Periscope, you'll have to change over to the new new one. Sorry, we dropped off there. Um, you've got no problems with them doing that, Ryan, doesn't it? Am I the only one here that feels yeah. a bit strange? I think the thing you have to kind of think about too is that yeah, being involved in a training camp is an indication that maybe you're on a team's radar, but it's no guarantee that you're going to be selected in any sort of you know upcoming window or or any sort of a, approaching time frame you know it, it's it's still a waiting game for you and if Gregor Townsend's tapped him on the shoulder and said hey we want to pick you this week I mean I, I made a comment during the week about Brad Shields and 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 what's going on and and you know the the sort of faux controversy that was um, stirred up by the Herald about his selection a lot of these guys, you know, they're elite athletes and they just want to test themselves at, at the top level. And if Gary Graham's been picked to play test rugby, then why can't he, you know, accept that offer just because he's been involved in a training camp? You know, if he's still eligible, he hasn't he hasn't been picked by England yet, then good on him. Yeah, I guess my problem was how soon it was. And I guess, yeah, the, the, the intellectual property that he's going to be taking away and across... Um, with Brad Shields, who never actually went into the All Blacks camp, um, but Niaki um, will, will be talked about this week as well. Obviously, um, in those situations, they, they, they they're not taking, or they haven't been part of the the, the All Black setup. So I kind of didn't have as much of an issue with it. It's, it, it's, it's I, I don't know. Maybe it's um, maybe I'm also wearing my my, uh, my England glasses um, at this point. But it just yeah, it just feels a bit strange to see someone flipping so close. Within a year, being picked by two different sides. Um, when okay, yes, it didn't, didn't turn out, but to go to training camps, it just feels strange to me. Um, so maybe I'm okay, I'm the odd one out here. Everyone else think, thinks it's absolutely fine. Um, the uh, on on that one, and um, wet weather rugby this weekend. Did you enjoy seeing a bit of old school um, wet weather rugby rather than it always being dry and uh, firm tracks? Let's go. Let's actually let's go with the old man, Ashwin. How you doing? <laughs> I was disappointed, tell you the truth. I was sort of like, I mean, I was disappointed that the rain was there because obviously it impacted the game at Twickenham. Um, but I said we'll, we'll go into that more detail tomorrow. But in saying that, there was still a high level of skill on show in that game. Um, so the wet weather obviously a bit of an impact, but they still put on a pretty good performance there. Obviously, in Wales, um, they they closed the old um, roof. Um, they pulled the old sun tuff over the top and um, kept it dry in there. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit weather a bit more. But you know, at the end of the day, winter, rugby is a winter game, so you got to be able to play in all kinds of uh, conditions. I think we've just been spoilt with the way that the ground conditions are these days. You know, everything's generally is even when it's raining a hard and fast surface. Um, the, the ball quality, etc. It's not a big leather ball that you gets wet and you can't kick around. Uh, you know the grip on it 
gets improved year after year. So even in the wet, you can hold on to it. So it's it's not wet weather rugby like we used to play it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of wishing I jumped in before Ashwin now because he took half my points, you know, straight out of my mouth. <laughs> the points, the points about you know the quality of the pitches, the the technology with the ball and stuff like that. You know, wet weather rugby is a lot different than you know mid nineties um, or or be, uh, before that. Um, and I actually, you know, I enjoyed watching the the, the England All Blacks game and. And how it, it took the All Blacks time to adjust, you know, and, and without wanting to go too much into the All Blacks because of tomorrow night, you know, that's part of Test rugby. You know, teams adapting to conditions, teams adapting their their game plan and their strategy, and, and being able to cope with with different you know different conditions. All right, listen, I can't disagree with anything that's that the guys have guys have actually said. One thing that I'm sort of curious about, I mean, <clears throat> Twickenham is a world class. Stadium is there, is there any train of thought that they'd ever ever look at covering that particular stadium? Just a thought. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, Rugby Wales has got a lovely comment there from us on um, Periscope. Would you drive a Porsche with the roof open if it's raining? Oh, I'm, I'm not saying that Wales should have played with with, with the roof open. To be honest with you, um, I do find it rather ironic that the one game that was dry and undercover was the lowest scoring game of the weekend, which. Um, <laughs> Well, I think there's a long way to what you guys are saying. That actually, wet weather isn't um, it isn't the game killer it used to be. It's not the leveler. Yeah. To answer Steve's Steve's comment, or you know, to, to add on, to, or yeah, to answer Steve's question, actually, is the fact is that you know you've got to remember that the RFU is short of a bit of coin, so you know it is difficult for them to get the money together to put put a bit of glad wrap over the top of their stadium. <laughs> Actually, I, I just just reminded myself. I saw a very very good wet weather game. Admittedly, most of it in the second half a few weeks ago at Eden Park. And I tell you what, that was uh, that was what what would, what would we have forty minutes plus twenty minutes extra time, and that was sixty minutes of some pretty good code. You've got to say, guys. And we saw yep. we saw tries. We we saw tries. We saw a great contest, and of course a great finish right at the end. Yeah, the right finish. <laughs> but, I mean, like just just on that, and I mean, looking at that game, and then obviously the game on the weekend, um, it, it just shows. I mean, the 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 quality, the caliber of the the people, the players as well is is it's just chalk and cheese when you go back to those those times of what we would think of as wet weather rugby. Um, you, you, you know, in, in our mindset, like when we were sitting there at Eden Park, Steve, when we were watching the game on the weekend, you sort of think, oh, this is going to be a, you know, a, a, the ball's going to be, be a piece of soap and it's going to be a shocker. And it just simply wasn't. Yeah. 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 We underestimate the skills of the, of the modern players. We think back to back in the day when you had a leather rugby ball and as soon as a high ball went up in wet conditions, you thought, oh, no, nobody's nobody's going to catch this. It's, they're going to drop it, but you know, as Ryan previously said before, with the the balls that they've got, with the ground conditions, there's probably not a lot of excuses. But I'm I'm saying that you've still got to be a little bit smart about the way you play the game and your like, game plan. Yeah, you got your game plan, and you know the All Blacks, they they change their fortunately, fortunately for their sake. But we'll get in that to, we'll get tomorrow. That. Hey, just just on the you know we we just commented about how good the the skill sets of the modern day player are. One thing that disappointed me across all the games that I saw, and I saw a lot of games on the weekend, whether it was part or whole, um, was the kicking. Apart from, and I've forgotten his name, 
um, our um, halfback for the English team, Paul. Um, Youngs, yep. Apart from him, the kicking from across all the teams was pretty poor and pretty sort of ill-directed, lack of sort of game now. It was, yeah, it was just poor in general apart from Youngs. I think you get that that kind of it's wet, we're going to kick. And, and certainly players, <clears throat> I think they forget that you, you still need to kick with purpose. And I think yes. the best part about about Young's kicking was that he kicked for his chases and the work of guys like Underhill, uh, May and Ashton and putting the, the recipients under pressure. I mean, that's what made the kick as much as the accuracy of the kick as well. Um, you, you're absolutely right. Some of the kick quality is poor, and I think it's just teams, you know, just having it in their head. We're going to kick because it's wet, and forgetting that they, they you need to kick with a purpose. You know, whether it's to to try and force an error, to try and you know, pick up territory, or have a possession yourself. Yeah, and this is like um, you know, across all the games, it just seemed to me too many times. Again, apart from Youngs, the ball was just being kicked away. And you're pulling your hair out watching the game, even when you're not watching the All Blacks playing, because obviously you pull your hair out because it's your team. But when you're watching the others, it's just like, what are you doing? You've just kicked it down the throat. They've got plenty of time to catch it, have a look, and then kick it back to you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing infuriates me more about a team, you know, defending for sort of 10 plus phases and winning a turnover, you know, on their own 22. And a guy just hoofing it to halfway and straight to to a fullback or or a winger. I mean, yep. you know, the counter attack might not be on, but if you're going to clear territory, you got to kick with purpose. You got to find touch, or you've got to find open pasture. Otherwise, you're just giving yep. possession back. And, and I think, um, you know, interesting. You just said open pasture. So blows me away. The fact is that all the mentality is that is that oh, I've just got a turnover in my twenty two. I've got to kick it as far and deep as I can, as opposed to, hang on, the fullback's gone back, the winger's gone back, there's actually space between the old attacking line and where those players have got back to. There's plenty of greenage around to basically put that ball into space. Well, I'll, I'll, bring up, I'll bring up one example from England um, on the weekend where there was one time where Youngs didn't kick, and they had position on their own 22, and they actually shifted it across the 22, and, and they had numbers, and it dragged the, the winger and centre forward from the All Blacks. And then I think it was Slade who kicked in behind and found touch down near the, the All Blacks 22. So that was another way of manipulating uh, the defence who were preparing for a kick, bringing them forward to defend uh, the possibility of a, of a counter from inside their own end, and then kicking into that, that open space, that greenage, as you just uh, coin the term. Yeah. <laughs> and when you've got it, and when you're a team like England and you've got yourself a number of kickers in Farrell, and Daly's got a got a howitzer of boots for him, um, and Slade's also a, a long range guy. It doesn't have to be the you say you, you, you can start to try and manipulate teams uh, and move them around, show them different pictures. Don't give them the same option every time so they know what's coming. Uh, make them think, because teams don't like to think, really, at the end of the day. And I'll give you a head-scratcher, Paul. So we'll go back to Super Rugby, and one of the most convincing Waratahs wins, I can't remember who the opposition was, I think it might have been the Rebels, and we saw 
Bernard Foley kicking high balls down the channels of the sideline for Falau to go because we know that he's going to win that aerial contest. Yet since that game, we haven't seen Falau used consistently in that role, and you know how good he is in the air. And it's just mind-boggling. It is. The Australians could basically have the whole game plan of kick for Falau. It is it is it is mind boggling as to what I I think he's much better used as a right winger uh, as he was used in that second half against the Rebels. Uh, you just yeah give it to Foley, bang up it goes, right winger contest every single time and just keep just keep doing that because he as you say he's going to win at least fifty fifty if not more. Um, well, I, I think not that we've got the stats in front of us. We'd have to look at our mates at ten fourteen or someone like that for those stats. But um, you know, you're probably looking at high ninety percent to for him getting that recovery of the ball, winning that ball. Yeah, and to be fair, in that game, um, Dame Hellett Petty had gone off with a head injury early on, so they'd lost their fullback. But even so, um, yeah, he's he's going to cause 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 issues. That's and you, you look at something like like Australia at the weekend in in a, in a under the roof. Dry conditions, absolutely no excuse, um, and they end up playing a, a, a nine-six game against Wales. You know, like, Australia, Australia's got the quality that they shouldn't be going any games without scoring a try. I'm not saying they should, they should necessarily beat Wales. Wales are a good side, but both sides have the quality that they, they, they should be scoring tries over eighty minutes. Um, there's yeah, there's, there's there's no excuse for, for for that kind of performance on the weekend. I think one of the issues for Australia, and I don't want to get too much into it, but a, a little bit, a little bit like England, and once again, don't get too much in that. But the similarities where their line out, where their lineouts, um, both lineouts faltered when they actually got into really good attacking positions. And I, know, I can recall the Australians being inside the 22 on a couple of occasions, and, and Pulilatu, you know, not just not finding his markers. I, I believe Australia, if if they can hold onto the ball for long periods. They will be a dangerous side because they can create a lot of continuity. They got a lot of good ball carriers, and it was just that really key component of the, of the game that that let them down. Quite frankly, I think if their scoreline would have been a draw in in that in that particular in that game, game. My, a couple of oddities that happened in that game. I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Lee Halfpenny shanked two kicks <laughs> from in front. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> Hey, um, just on those ones that Steve's just mentioned, they were, so they were off two, two lineouts off penalties. Um, you know, the commentator that we're listening to in New Zealand going, Oh my God, I can't believe they're not going for the three. I actually felt that was the right decision by Hooper to put it into the corner. Streaming issue, but anyway, we're back, we're back again. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that, uh, we, we, we basically, I mean, we don't, we don't say now that, or people keep, will still say it, but it's not really true anymore that scrums win games. Um, but it does appear to be lineouts win games nowadays. Um, set piece is still important, just as a different one um, to that. And with all these games being so, uh, we had what the um, the the USA beat Samoa with the last kick of the game. We had France beating South Africa again with the last play of the game. Uh, England, um, New Zealand was was a one point win. The, the, a lot of these games were within a score. Um, whilst we might bemoan some of the quality of, the, of, of rugby that's being played the emotion the hype around the game or the not the hype but the um the suspense around the games we're, we're living in a golden a golden time from that point of view the 
the contest the contest is is there in every game and 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 I think it's um when we look when we discussing rugby with the, the likes of the four of us type scenario or people of that ilk um we realize that any team on a given day can win a game you know i mean is 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 um as dominant as the All Blacks have been or as successful as the All Blacks have been recent times, if they don't turn up to a game or if they don't put their best efforts in, there's a chance that they get knocked over. And we saw that in Wellington this year. Um, went very close again on Saturday or Sunday morning our time uh, to that happening again. The the um, the ability between the teams is very close. I mean, we've just talked about Australia. We know what their problems are, really. It's just holding on to the ball effectively. I think too the, the the evidence for the All Blacks too is that they only even have to be off the game for sort of twenty minute patches and it lets teams in and it you know teams get on the board. So I mean that shows you just how close things are. Like if the All Blacks click for eighty minutes, I think they're far and away the best. But if they're off their game even slightly for for just periods of the game or not, you know they're sharpest for the whole game. Teams find a way to get in and get into the contest and. You wonder whether just the the psychological edge that the All Blacks have from being able to win so many close games is perhaps what propels them you know, to to keep winning. Um, the the fact that they believe that they can pull out close games, whereas you know, a team like Australia at the moment, you know, ha- the Argentina comeback aside, how on earth are they going to think they're going to win games? Because they're simply not. They get in a close game and they can't finish them off. And you, I, I mean, I'm yeah. it's pretty much the same. They've lost one game this year. But that's when they rested a whole bunch of players for their first game in Australia. Um, Sexton wasn't playing that game, etc. So, yeah, you've seen these. The, the, the differences are small, but the, but once once the team gets on a roll and has belief, um, and we've seen that again, I guess with South Africa over over um, France at the weekend. What eighty four minutes? I think it was when they scored that last try. Um, oh, that, yeah, I was going to say that 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 was a crazy game. The the French. I think all they had to do was pretty much run run the clock down. And it was almost, to me, an example of a team that doesn't know how to win at the minute in, in terms of France. I think they needed about 40 seconds to run run the clock down. And, of course, they turned the penalty over. And, leave, listen, even, even if somebody went in there and mucked around and held the ball at least until the hooper went, it, it may have been enough to save them. But then there were just little things, the winger stepping on the line, and, you know, from the moment that South Africa got that line out, I thought to myself, gee, if they pull another penalty here, they'll kick it downtown and they'll, they'll have a crack. And that's, you know, and I, was, I actually wasn't surprised that South Africa got across the line, even though it was deep into the game. I remember pointing to, saying to somebody who was watching the game, with, this will tell me whether the South Africans are an improved side, if they can get across the line in this situation where they have to score. And I'll tell you what, it, it, it was perfect. And to be honest, they were probably all over the French in that last oh, 15 or fifteen or, or 20 minutes. They looked the more dangerous. To me, they looked the more dangerous side throughout the game. But just little mistakes and turnovers were, were hurting them. But, you know, I, I for one, I, I was delighted to see the, the South Africans uh, get across the line because I think they were the better team. Just going back to something Ryan mentioned, Paul, um, in, in terms of... Um, yeah, the All Blacks with their 20, 20 minutes. Um, um, being off the game. You, you've, you've done it yeah. all wrong. 
Uh, if if you're not backing up the bus, then um... oh, it was oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, uh, sorry, Paul. I just got to back the truck up a bit here. Beep 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 beep. Just to something that Ryan said. Um, yeah, just the other thing with the All Blacks is that um, one thing that started to come in this year is you're starting to see players that are able to get in and upset the All Blacks. So obviously, what we've seen with Fat the Clerk. With the South Africans, he's been able to come in and um, get under the skin of uh, Aaron Smith, and that's sort of given the All Blacks the wobbles. Um, whether it's fatal or not is not, you know, is, is debatable. But definitely, it's had an impact of someone like again a Fafta Clerk coming in. It's a shame we're probably not going to see Connor Murray, even though Steve Hansen's picked him for this weekend. Um, you know, to see how he would have impacted on. Um, you know, I know he's injured. That's why I said Steve Hansen picked him. <laughs> but you know, it would have been interesting to see um how he would have, you know, sort of got under Aaron Smith's skin because surely they would have seen what Faf did um and sort of said, Look, oh, here's 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 an opportunity for us as well. And Connor Murray's a fantastic halfback, you know, arguably the best in the world. Um and uh we're gonna miss out on that opportunity to see how he would have gone and getting under Aaron Smith's skin. No, absolutely. And the um, but I'm, I'm, I want to move on to perhaps what was maybe the most important game of the weekend in some ways, which was Italy-Georgia. Um, the, uh, there's been lots of cries for Georgia to be in the Six Nations um, and that the fact they've been... Uh, and one, one of the things Ryan was talking about the about the rankings is that Georgia are ranked higher than Italy, but they've never actually beaten a Tier 1 team. Uh, and they win most of their games because they don't get to play many Tier 1 teams. Italy lose all their games because they're constantly playing Tier 1 teams, um, so it affects the rankings. Um, has, do you think this, this will put the uh, the press to bed, the media to bed, around around push, getting Georgia into that Six Nations, that win? Or do you think are we get, we're still going to get the same sort of thing come around, uh, come around the spring in, in, in Europe? Um, no, I, 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 I actually like watched the last... Uh, 20 minutes of that game. In fact, uh, Italy got a yellow, they actually got a yellow card and it was a perfect opportunity for, for Georgia to, to take advantage. And during that time, they actually had, I think they were 28-17 and they had three or four chances to score. And it was just really little things, passes not being quite thrown in the, in the, in the right place. And, you know, if they'd scored, they're, they're almost there. You can actually see their you can actually just see their structures, but a lot of their backs don't have the the real inst- real instinctive flair. No, qu- no question. God, they don't mind a scrum. They, 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 their forwards, are, their forwards are very, their forwards are very tough. No, no question. And you and you can see that you can see that improvement. Now I stand to be corrected. I think that was that game was played in Italy. It was yes. It was played in Italy. It'd be interesting to see if this game, if it was played in in, in Georgia. How how they'd go, but the, you know, listen, they're a, they're a team on the definitely on the improve. They kind of remind me of, and I'm showing my age here, Romania back in the in the in the in the early 70s when I, I can remember the All Blacks playing in in Romania. They'd always play a couple of tests against France, and then head across to to Romania, and that was always a a tough test. I mean, to say tough in terms of they had big physical forwards, and then then the revolution came along, and half the rugby team got shot from what I believe, which is quite. <laughs> Quite crazy, but that sort of things happen happens in Eastern Europe, and and I, I just think Georgia are in the prove 
are on the improvement. I think the fact that, uh, like I, I saw their under twenties last, uh, last year playing at the other twenties World Cup, and they looked at it, you know, they played some really, really good code. So it's just those little instinctive things that can make them a better team. I think one of the things um, with Georgia at the moment is that that their strength is up front, and if you look at their their the squad and where their players play. Most of their forwards are based in France, but the backs are still playing in the domestic league in in Georgia. Um, and I think it's going to be developing the the back line and, and I guess the the flair positions, um, and probably trying to get them into either the French leagues or you know other European teams um, over the next decade to try and you know develop those skills um, until. I guess the Georgian league maybe improves or um, if that's ever going to happen. Um, so at the moment, they are a little bit one-dimensional. I, I don't think you know, the Italy were convincing enough to totally put the you know the conversations to, to bed, but they've done enough for now to at least, I guess, quieten them. Yeah, I was going to say, so Paul, I don't think that, I think if anything, it's actually created more noise around it. Um, the comment that I read um, from out of that game was the fact is that Georgia need more games against Tier 1 opposition to actually build their expertise and experience around playing that level of rugby. They're play, as you've said, they're playing non-Tier 1 nations. So um, Tier 2, and I don't even know if it's, you call it a Tier 3 or everybody's just Tier 2, but um, you know they're playing that level and, and they're basically sort of at the top of the heap sort of there and they need to be able to um, test themselves more often against tier one nations to get better. I guess that's my point is that you look at the USA, they beat Scotland during June. Uh, you look at Japan, they beat South Africa at the last Rugby World Cup and they beat Ulster uh, and they drew with France in the November following that as well. So both of those teams have got results against tier one teams. Uh, and I guess, I guess my point is just that look that Georgia, they, we feel, people talk about Georgia being the best tier two team. I don't think they really are. I think they're behind um, Japan, and I think USA are, are looking at overtaking them. Um, and you've also got teams like Fiji as well, who are also very good. So um, Georgia are going to start getting some more home. They're going to get a home um, Tier 1 game every uh, June, July, sorry, uh, in 2020 onwards, uh, which is something that the, the Pacific Islands never get. Um, so, look, it's, 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 they are starting to get that. I think the other thing they could do, with, which would be good, is getting a... Uh, if, if, if they had a top, uh, sorry, not top 14, a Pro 14 team, and maybe expand the Pro 14 by putting one team in Romania, one team in uh, in Georgia, might be a way forward um, as, as, as well to get uh, to get a team into that. I think would be a good a good stepping stone for them, so that their backs do, as you say, get some quality games um, to, to play um, as as well. I guess the other point is finally that rumours are that some of the Articles that are written by the, the media backing George for the Six Nations may come with a few uh, incentives from their from their billionaire um, benefactor that uh, backs Georgia. Um, so I think some 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 media might get nice little jollies to Georgia in return for writing uh, positive articles. So I think there could also be an element of uh, uh, that, that they get a bit more noise than the other teams are because they they, they pay a bit of cash for some noise. 
Um, I mean, I can't believe you've just gone and said that. I was just about to give Steve the heads up is that, look, Paul's probably got a few hits out on him in the Eastern Europe, so go easy on what you say about there. And then you got back it up with that, but hey. <laughs> I, I know, for some reason, when you talk about expansion, I think of Andy Marinos, and I think to myself, um, thank God he isn't running rugby in Europe, in Europe because you'd have about uh, the six nations would probably be the 12 nations. You'd have... Uh, <laughs> You'd have to <laughs> Russia, Germany, <laughs> all, all over the shop. But is there is there a prom, promotion relegation? Isn't that the probably the most obvious thing to do? Whoever finishes at the bottom. Yeah, they've they've months. they've talked about that, but uh, although that, that's why that's what Georgia keeps asking, or what people keep asking for. But the, the Six Nations Committee are basically like, look, we do we do long term TV deals. The last thing we want to do is do a five year TV deal with this, with an Italian broadcaster. And have Italy relegated. Um, so because because it's you have those sort of those those TV deals, you, you can't. Um, that, that's basically their argument. Look, it's a private. It's a, it's a privately organised competition. It's not a world. It's not a world rugby one organised. Um, and we have long term deals, and therefore we're not having promotion relegation that would upset our uh, basically our broadcasters. Is what it comes down to. And the other side of it is that it, that some um, Spain are perhaps one of the stronger. Uh, um, uh, women's teams um, beat, beating Wales uh, recently and getting into the uh, Women's Rugby World Cup, but they are locked out of the out, out of the Six Nations because again, the Women's Six Nations is has they've decided that, that it will mirror the men's. Um, so the the same weekend that England play Ireland in the Six Nations, the English women play the Irish women in the Six Nations, and the Under Twenties game happens as well. So you have three games over the weekend in the same city. Um, and uh, which is all good because it all kind of work. It, it, it's, it builds. They, they, they can sort of uh, get spectators from each one, but it does mean that teams like, let's say, Spain, who are a very good um, uh, female uh, rugby team, uh, are kind of frozen out from that as well. Unfortunately. I'm glad Would... you mentioned rugby, um, Paul, because um, I know the guys and the guys may want to comment. But having watched the Black Ferns France game on Friday on Saturday. Saturday morning, I, I found that game a really, really good watch. There was, uh, it was physical. There was plenty of niggle. It was a, it was a real hostile crowd. And um, I tell you what, the Black Ferns had to work overtime against a very, very good French, and I don't think they've been challenged for a very long time. Thoughts, guys? Unfortunately, I didn't see the game because um, Saturday morning cricket. <laughs> okay, go now, Ryan. <laughs> I haven't seen the game either. Um, I was I was still tucked up in bed at that time um, after a late night working Friday. But um, hey, I mean France were the the Six Nations champs, and I think there was there was never going to be any question that the the Blackburns were going to just you know stroll on in there and, and flog them. So um, it's it's set it up now because there's is there one two more I think one more game one, one more game. So it set that up for you know a real mouth-watering battle as well. Um, so it could be a long, uh, long Saturday night, Sunday morning, you know, staying up to watch the Black Ferns and then and then followed by the ABs and trying to set up a second screen for the Maori as well. So, <laughs> wow, well, the it, it was a very- uh, the, the other game that happened at the weekend was England's women beat um, the USA women. Um, the USA women really have put themselves, given themselves a tough schedule, um, playing the Black Ferns um, the weekend before, then playing England. 
um, and then heading over to Ireland to play Ireland, who I mean, Ireland, what, came third in the Women's Six Nations, I think it is. But basically you've got France, England and Ireland, and then you've got the rest in the Six Nations. Um, so the USA really have te- have uh, really are testing themselves over this uh, over this window. It's disappointing for me that the the US uh, what it looks like is that they're focusing on the sevens side of things, and and some of their best athletes and best rugby players, uh, the likes of Nia Tapper um, and a couple of others, are, are committed to that sevens program and not part of their fifteens. So, because I think they're a side that you know. Probably just below the the top tier of women's teams, um, sort of in that next group with the likes of Canada and um, and probably Ireland. I think that'll be a, a, a good game this weekend. But um, yeah, it'll be it'll be good to see those those elite athletes of theirs playing in the 15s team as well. But you know the the, the sevens program with the lure of Olympic medals, I think you know is, is taking priority for them. Which that's their prerogative, but it's a little bit disappointing. That same could be said for the Black Ferns, though. Oh, but we, like, yeah, no argument, but we have far greater depth, and I think depth, that's, yeah. that's the big difference. Um, you, know, you, could, you could take out Portia Woodman, and we've still got you know, some young quality athletic wingers who come in. So, yeah. Yeah, and as you, you talk about Canada there, Canada now go, uh, uh, um, going to be playing England um, this weekend, so it'll be good to see where they sit um, in, in, in that old rankings. Um, because yeah, I'll be honest. My the amount I follow the women's game has is, is definitely increasing. Um, I've not really paid. I've not really watched and uh, been, been that close to it um, until until the sort of last year or so. So yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, I say we interested to see how Canada go against England as well um, this weekend. Since we're talking women's rugby, what anybody anybody see the red card in the USA yes. England game? Well, I've, I've seen uh, highlights of it. Um, that's red it. card or not red card? I, I, I know you. We don't. We we we're trying to steer away from uh, controversial decisions and that. But um, hashtag <laughs> <Ross's> fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I suppose technically, no. Technically, I think it was the correct decision. Um, I suppose it's more comes down to does the um, what, what the parameters that they work around do they need to be um, looked at. Um, I, I think it's a difficult was, one. I, no, well, difficult. I mean, you don't want a red card to ruin a game. Um, and, and I must—I don't I'm not quite sure how far through the game this one was, but she's she's led with 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 the arm away from mm-hmm. her body, um, and it's hit someone's neck. And I th- I'm—I've seen too much of it in the men's game where there's there's a leading arm, and I think that's and there's no action taken. There's no action taken, so no, I'm happy with that. Oh. I'm, I think yep. we should be taking the leading out. Stop that leading arm personally. There's, there's no, there's no require, there's no need for an attacking player holding the ball to lead with a forearm or an elbow. It just makes them harder to tackle. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it was just like if you're going to do it, you have the open. It's the um, open palm fend that um, that you utilise, not not an elbow into the throat. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yes, I can understand why. It, it, uh, no, I, I, I think it's the right decision. I think it's, uh, it is harsh, but it is, but it needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously, in this scenario, the impact is is was um, at a very low, uh, you know, force. But um, the, the fact is that you, as a referee, you haven't got a Newton meter out there to measure how much force is 
been applied in a tackle. So you have to go with the, the, the technical aspects of it. And uh, when you break it down to the technical aspects of it, it's, it's a yellow card. Uh, sorry, a red card. Yeah, just originally in the, if I could back the truck up even further when it comes to yellow beep, cards. Beep, beep. If you could think of um, Polo Latu getting a yellow card against the All Blacks when um, Cody, Taylor, Cody Taylor shunted him, and then he, in return, shunted Cody Taylor in the face. Originally, I thought, nah, just a penalty will do it. But when you watched it again, it was still a blow to the face. Mm. So, you know, the referee... Yeah, the referee a, a blow to the face gets away with it, well, in, in the sense, not not gets away with it in terms of um, um, a sanction, but gets away with it because his hand landed in a way that his fingers didn't go in the eye. Now, I'm not saying he's intentionally going to gouge him or anything like that, but when you're chucking a hand at the face, these sorts of accidental um, situations can occur. Yeah, uh, Sammy Rivu, I think, hit um, half penny. He went to charge a kick down, and he yep. had a for a leading forearm as well. The only difference was, I think the official at the time, and it's just escaped me who the official was for that. Okay. Um, but he, he just, you know, he and it was the right call. It showed the shot head on. And Karevi, he went for the charge down and just had his elbow up. But he wasn't even, you know, to me, he wasn't actually throwing his arm towards the player, and it, it looked it looked accidental. So it was the right call. To me, it was the right call, even though it looked really bad. On, on <laughs> but, okay, so, so two things. I mean, one, um, if we go back, if we're, going, if we're backing up trucks um, to last year, and we're talking about um, Ireland versus South Africa, and we had um, oh, I've gone, Stander um, jump up, uh, and his hip caught... Um, Oh, who's the fly half that, that, that's been out, that's been missing now with conduct concussion for South Africa? Lambie. Lambie, yeah. Pat, call, call Patrick Lambie in the head and basically got, um, can put him into concussion and, then, and he got red carded for that one. So was that a deliberate, was he deliberately trying to um, hip him or, or in, in the face? No, it was accidental contact to the face, but the, 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 whether it's accidental, whether it's deliberate, uh, is, isn't supposed to be taken into account. It's whether was there contact to the face, yes or no, um, and so hence I think I think Australia got a bit lucky personally. Well, there's that whole thing about you know if you're reckless, right? So yeah, things happen in the in the flow of a game, um, and I think there has been a directive to referees to to you know say look, this guy's doing something that's a, a rugby action. Um, and if he's making a tackle and a guy slips and you catch him across the head, then you take that into uh, in, into account when you're making a decision. But there's you know there's other actions that you can make look like a rugby action that are really in, uh, designed to have a go, you know, inflict damage or have a go or whatever. So yeah, it's it's still grey areas and it's it's not easy being a referee. I can attest to that. But yeah, I think uh, I think Karevi was a bit lucky. Yep. Yeah, I think you guys, yeah, I think I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll have a split decision on the uh, on on the podcast here. Um, yeah, I think two of us suggest he probably should have got a card. Um, um, for, for, for <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is actually to, to me, I think that, that's that, that's been one of the stories of the of the, um, of, uh, of the window is that um, Andy Farrell, uh, um, Andy Farrell, is that the right person? Yeah, it's not oh, the right. Owen. Owen Farrell. There we go. 
Owen Farrell's um, tackle um, against South Africa, again, I could see that it could have gone either way. I remember Andy Powell's uh, tackle when he was for the Lions in, in South Africa. So we're, so we're back in the truck up for about 12 years now, um, or eight or nine years. Um, and he oh, went into a, go, go, stop going beep, 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 beep. <laughs> he went into a tackle. <laughs> Both his arms are out front. Um, but basically the guy bounced off before he could close them. Um, and he got called for a no-arm tackle. And I was thinking, hang on, both his arms are forward. It's a big collision. The guy's bounced off him. He just didn't, couldn't grab him in time. So um, so I can see how Farrell's one could have been called the other way because a similar thing happened to him. Um, but to me, it wasn't a... To me, to me the decision was, was the right one. Um, and again, last weekend with the, um, uh, with the offside, again, there's probably an offside similar to that somewhere along the line on just about every single ruck in the um, in a game, it just doesn't get called every time. So again, I can see how he, how you can sometimes get away with it, sometimes you don't. Um, and uh, yeah, we he just didn't get away with it, which is fine. I think what was what was more offensive about Owen Farrell's um, situation against South Africa was when he would try to do his Hollywood on the ground, so he doesn't get pinged. The <laughs> He's he's on the ground going, oh, my shoulder. And it's just like, oh, dude, that's so obvious that you think you've done the wrong thing. And now you're sort of like, oh, no, I'm actually injured. So don't penalize me. <laughs> oh, well, if you, if, you, if you want to hear about, you want, if you want to hear five or four, sorry, four Englishmen and a Welshman criticizing Owen Farrell, go and listen to the More Level podcast um, that I recorded <laughs> this morning. Um, uh, but if you're talking, you're talking about um, um, play acting, uh, look out this weekend for anyone who hits um, Sexton even remotely late. Because Sexton will be rolling around on the pitch like a footballer. Um. <laughs> it was actually a good one on the weekend, but I just can't remember which game it was. And and this is like as soon as the um, notice oh nothing was happening, it was like bang up because he's got to get back in the defensive line. And I just can't remember which game it was. It was a shocker. It was just like oh oh, and it's like oh crap, ref's not doing anything. Quick, get up and get in the defensive line. I want to say Argentina, but I don't want to stereotype. <laughs> you just, you just did. I, but I just did. You just did. <laughs> oh dear. Well, before we go and um, upset any more nationalities, um, what do we think of the Chiefs taking another, taking their Crusaders game to Fiji? Crazy. Crazy. It's frustrating. Frustrating. I like. I'm not even a Chiefs fan, but I just think you know. They continually keep taking games away. I mean, we saw it with the Highlanders last year as well. Taking games outside of New Zealand when they're not even catering to their own supporters within their regions. What I what I don't understand is why you take a derby game away. Yeah, I mean that's that's your big crowd, and I mean, yeah, as as a uh, as a harbour based Blues fan who you know, never gets games anymore anyway. But, you know, the games that used to come to, to Albany or to Whangarei were, were always games against, well, normally Albany was against a South African team. Um, and if you went to Whangarei, it was you know, normally against an Australian team or something. But you never got a derby game because you know, that's where you get the big crowds in. Um, so, yeah, take a game to Fiji, you know, whatever. But why take away something that's going to you know, probably draw a pretty strong crowd to to Hamilton. Um, but good news is it'll mean we've got one game less of cowbells. So yes. there's a there's a positive there. You've got to remember Paul's a fan of cowbells. I like I like cowbells. 
<laughs> Crazy. You know you, uh, you're mad. Put him on a straight jacket. <laughs> okay. If we're talking mad, this 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 is how much I like these kind of things. I've only been ever been to one Manawa two game, but <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I've got a bucket. <laughs> They don't make noise, they, so that's fine. They don't make noise, exactly. <laughs> Apart from the people wearing them, but the bucket itself doesn't make noise and isn't internally annoying. <laughs> but I, I'm into stuff that is that, that means where you look at a crowd or listen to a crowd and go, I know who I'm watching, I know who I'm looking at. And it's not just the same crowd everywhere else. So I, I like to see, I like the local um, or the regional differences. Um, I'm, I'm all for that kind of stuff. So, yeah, no, I, I like I like bells. Um, and, just uh, just on another, so with this game, is the objective of a Super Rugby franchise to be financially successful or to be successful on the pitch? Both. Yep. Yep. But which one? You, you, you get which one's more important? Is there uh, one that's more important? I guess you know, there's a little bit. I guess of is the the tail wagging the dog kind of thing, but. Yeah, you got to be successful on the pitch to be successful financially. But if you're not successful financially, can you be successful on the pitch? So it's well, yeah. because the Crusaders have won the last two games that they played in Fiji, which it's always been the opposition that's taken the game there too. So it's and, and um, if you look at the crowd, it seems that obviously Fijians are sort of quite bandwagon supporters because I remember early days of um, Super Rugby when the Blues were successful. The Fijians were blues supporters. <laughs> Obviously, it's because we, we had Rupini and Joali. Yeah. And... <laughs> so there's a hell of a lot of Crusaders jerseys in that crowd. Um, usually, the, it seems to be uh, more support for the Crusaders. So Ryan's highlighted the fact that you've taken a derby game over there, but not only have you taken a derby game over there, you've taken the Crusaders over there. Seems crazy. Oh, that, it just seems crazy to me. Now, if someone came out and said, we are trying to build a fan base for setting up a um, uh, a Fiji-based um, Super Rugby side, then I, I could get behind it a lot more. But be, because Super Rugby won't tell us um, what they're trying to do in the future, maybe they don't even know, to be honest, to be fair to them. Um, but if there was some long-term plan that you could see it was it was all around built around then i could get behind it but as when it's um when it's not i find it much harder to do so and especially as i'm now based in hamilton that's that's a game i'm not going to get get to unless they fly me out (laughs) (laughs) get on the media team Uh, i'm struggling to get a media pass with with the chiefs unfortunately I thought you were going to come up with a strategic plan that uh, Andy Marinos uh, had, uh, had passed to one side, and you were coming up with the new strategic plan that Super Rugby doesn't have. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't think they know what they're doing, to be brutally honest. We, we can be really, really thankful for the, for the local derbies in New Zealand, because if it wasn't for those local derbies, boy, I, I think this, this competition would be... In a, in a hell of a lot of trouble. I, I personally don't like the idea of giving up a home game. You know, you, it's 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 tribal. It, it's the, it's there for your fans. And if, if you look at that Chiefs region, you've got Counties Monaco, you've got 
Players plenty. Plenty. Rotorua. Tauranga. And that split in Rotorua and Tauranga.
Ryan wants to go to the brewery because he's seen who works inside the brewery. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe everything I see on adverts. <laughs> I didn't come down in the last shower, Ashwin. <laughs> or, 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 or or from the last crop duster. Um. <laughs> oh dear me! You're probably guessing now that I've run out of all my topics. Um, any any last things you guys want to have a quick chat about? Um, that's that's been going on the last week. No, that's about it. I mean, I mean, yeah. So I'd like to apologise to everyone uh, about the, the the two dropouts we had um, on YouTube. Um, I think my flatmates are all trying to stream movies and stuff um, and conference co- and phone calls to Argentina. Um, so um, sorry about that, um, but um, we will try and uh, rectify that um, going forward. God knows how. Um, we'll just pray it doesn't happen. So Ryan, um, let people know about the Tribe Sports app and what you guys have got going on. Yeah, so make sure you get uh, go to the App Store or the Play Store and download it, uh, Tribe Sports app. Um, not just rugby, but a whole bunch of sports. Uh, in terms of what we've got with the rugby coming up, we'll have live commentary of all the, the internationals this week. Uh, definitely have live commentary of the Black Ferns as well, um, and possibly the England game, uh, England-Canada women's. Um, and we'll also have some commentary of the Premiership rugby, which we're, we're starting to get more and more commentary of, otherwise live scoring. So heaps of rugby there. And if you want to have a chat with me on Twitter, um, see all my hot takes on the, the rugby and other sports, then follow me at New York Nixon. Steve, um, are you on Twitter? Yes, I am on Twitter, but I've only got about three followers. I think my wife. Um, and, and, and your son. <laughs> and he created an account for the dog as well. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, well, Steve would like to drink lots of Coke bought from practical stations, preferably. Um, thank you, Steve. Um, no, no problems. Um, Ashwin, um, if, you know, you're, like, you're, you're like I'm about to be. You're still unemployed, aren't you? Yeah, I'm unemployed. So um, if you need any um, ICT consultancy work done, just yeah, drop me a line. <laughs> NZ Fat, so DM me. Um, hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving Mall. Um, up there somewhere, oh, actually, there'll, there'll be stuff on the screen which you can click on if you're watching the recording. Um, please do so, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. And as I say, I'll be unemployed on Monday, so um, yeah, do become a Patreon, please. Link down below, give us a dollar a month, and then maybe I'll be able to um, to eat occasionally. Cheers, bye.